Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Welcome to another episode of Disrupting Dentistry. I feel very weird without my wingman here today, but I'm doing an episode without Melissa. This is my first one without Melissa. She's done a couple without me. Um, I'm finally flying solo just because of time zones and everything like that. But I'm super excited to have a guest with us today, a fellow Australian from um, Queensland, and her name's Rosie. So welcome, Rosie. Oh, thanks, Tabitha. It's so good to be here. I've been listening for a long time and so now to be on the other side of it's pretty special so thanks for inviting me on i'm super excited so i saw rosie make a post on facebook and straight away i messaged her and said come on to my podcast um i'm always looking for ways that we can help promote other dental professionals when they're doing things and they're starting new adventures because i just i love it i get so excited about it and i just want the world to hear about it um but let's start with before we tell everyone what your exciting venture is how did you get into dental? So you've graduated high school. What made you take those steps and how did you get there? Well, that's a good question. Do you get asked that all the time by your patients too? I find that they screw yeah. up the nose and they say, oh, why are you doing this? Why would you choose this career? But yeah. um, no, <laughs> the reason I got into this career, I really am amazed by people who know exactly what they wanted to be from a young age because that was not me. I had no idea and <laughs> I actually accepted and declined five different university offers before I decided on doing oral health science, which was the degree I ended up doing. And looking back, I think the reason for that was that I could talk myself out of all the other things, maybe thinking I'm not going to be good at it or maybe the career outcomes won't be as good or this part might be quite difficult. But I knew nothing about oral health science, nothing about being a hygienist, nothing about being a therapist. It was all completely foreign. And so I think that was the appeal, actually. I couldn't talk myself out of it. And it was just really curious about it. Now, I'd obviously been to the dentist before as a kid, and it wasn't overly memorable. Not that there were negative experiences, but there wasn't anything that really stuck out either. So when I arrived first day of university, I just knew I loved it. From the very first class, it just was the perfect blend of education, working with patients, science and healthcare. And I just thought it was fantastic. It just suited me to a T. And I love working That's with awesome. <laughs> you used to know what the other things you applied for were. Oh, yes. So biomedical science, speech yep. pathology, um, Oh, what was the other? We also had psychology and then sort of a, a pre-medical science and then thought maybe I could try to be a doctor. I really liked psychology and psychiatry, so I thought that would be a really cool career. But no, ended up here and couldn't so be happy. So you knew that you were going to do health. It was all very health-focused. You knew oh, you were going to do something healthy. Absolutely. I knew it had to be 
in health and I had to be able to work with people. That they were the only parameters that I had from making a decision. So they were the things that I applied for and then I just thought I'd wait yeah. and see what came in. And where did you go to university? I went to university in Victoria at La Trobe and their oh, campus Bendigo, which I just loved because I grew up in Tasmania. So it was really nice to be in a more of a regional community and everyone knows each other there and the course was fantastic and allowed me to have extended scope too, which proved really, really useful as I moved to private practice too. It's a beautiful campus. I've um, had the pleasure to go out there and be a guest lecturer. And um, yeah, it's a really, really lovely campus. I was very impressed when I went out, very picturesque. Oh, it's beautiful. Really, really wonderful. And so you graduated from uh, La Trobe and mm. obviously Queensland for our international travellers is a much warmer state than uh, where Bendigo is. <laughs> and, um, where, did you work in Victoria first? How did you get yourself up to Queensland working? Uh, well, I always joke that I've kind of migrated north and defrosting as I go. Growing up in Tasmania, so people who don't know, that is the most southern point of Australia, a tiny little island not attached to the rest of it and it's pretty cold there and then victoria slightly warmer in summer but still pretty cold in winter and then ended up working in public community dentistry clinics while i was in victoria that was straight out of university and that was fantastic i got 100 percent pediatric patients a lot of education health promotion um, doing kindergarten screenings so really enjoyed that aspect of it but as I got to the end of my third year doing that, it just started to feel a bit like a conveyor belt of caries. And I yeah. just thought I'd, I'd like to do more than just treat the symptoms. And it was just one hole after another. And yeah. the same person would come back with another hole. And it started to be a little bit disappointing. And so I thought, look, I'm called an oral health therapist. I would like to focus on the health rather than just yeah. oral disease. And so that led me to getting a job in a holistic and integrative practice in Queensland. And it was really there that I grasped that concept of no system in the body works in isolation. It's all connected. And then when we just look at a very small part of the body like a tooth without acknowledging the rest of it, that's probably not the most holistic overall way of treating things and I guess you don't have to work in a holistic environment to look at your patients in that way but it definitely spurred me on and just allowed me to do a bit of extra training um, to discover things about how the mouth relates to other parts of the body. I 100% agree and I think um, it's quite interesting when I'm teaching my students at university now like I say to them all the time you don't know how lucky you are like we learn hardly any of this stuff I have to go find it out for myself but I think we're slowly getting there of trying to really teach this more full body aspect and especially as there's so much science but what surprises me is like there's landmark studies from like 1954 showing yes. systemic oral health links that you know I still quote in lectures because you like because I like to show how old the study is to go we made this connection in 1954 but unfortunately mm. mainstream dentistry has been really slow yes to catch up with it mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely Which is 
And so then um, for our listeners, the reason why I reached out to Rosie was I saw that she has been um, inventing a toothpaste that, and what led you to that, to think, I now want to do this? Well, I wanted to make a toothpaste mostly because, as I mentioned, the, the group and the clientele of clients that I have are a little bit more natural, a bit more alternative. And that also means a lot of them were anti-fluoride. And so when I was seeing them and seeing the things that they were using and really looking at the ingredients in the toothpaste that they were using, they were so surprised to hear that there was no active ingredient and no active element that was actually going to assist in their oral health. You know, they all looked fantastic from the front and they were paying premium prices for them too, but really surprised that they weren't actually going to get any oral health benefits from using that every single day. Um, so that was the main reason I decided to delve into it. But the way it actually started was a question from a patient. And he asked me, what natural toothpaste would you recommend? And I was totally candid and I just said, probably none of them. <laughs> I haven't really come across one that's really amazing. There's probably about three that I like elements of, but if I could just smoosh them together and make the perfect toothpaste, then that would be amazing. And then he laughed and he said, well, if I don't see you here at my six-month checkup, I'll know that you've done it and you're a millionaire and you don't have to work in the clinic. <laughs> because I often have people like reach out to me for advice or asking questions and and they say to me what do you say to people that don't want to use fluoride how do you convince them and I'm like I don't like it's their choice and and it's so important um that we are respectful of people's oral health decisions and obviously it's our job to provide education and information but also patients have to consent to what they want and what they want to use and and they're independent thinkers and we have to be really respectful of that. And if someone doesn't want to use fluoride, I doubt you're going to change their mind. And you're better off talking to them about how to make the best decisions in that way rather than making it a defensive conversation or mm -hmm. trying to impart your personal view on that patient. I think that's really a really important point that you brought up there, like, you know, well, but I found the same thing when I've looked at a lot of natural toothpaste. I'm like, well, I've said to patients, just dry brush, <laughs> you know, like because if you look at the research, yeah. when we look at toothpaste, it can actually help inhibit plaque removal because it's a barrier between it. So if you're not using it for a medicated reason to actually do something, you're better off dry brushing. Absolutely. <laughs> what I do. I'm a dry brusher. I don't use toothpaste very often. Mm. I don't like it. And I the flavours of toothpaste, I've never had a feeling, I don't personally think I need fluoride in toothpaste mm. because I'm 45, I just outed myself, but, yeah, I'm 45, I'm old. If I haven't got a feeling by now, it would be a bit of a shock if I started getting a lot of caries. Yes. Um, I know how to brush well, I don't think I need it, and I don't love it. So, like, I'm totally down for down, for dry brushing if you're someone that, can do it and and I just think we need to be more open. I think the message with fluoride, I'm not anti-fluoride, but I don't think everybody needs it in the doses that we give. Yeah, no, I would absolutely agree with you there. And and I think it's probably a, too easy when someone has a cavity and you ask them what toothpaste are you using and they say it's natural, it's far too easy to say, well, that's why you've got a cavity. We know that's not yeah. true. 
and it's quite unfair to say it to someone as well. If that were the case, everyone who used fluoride wouldn't have any cavities and we wouldn't have any jobs. And, yeah. and you know, it's a 100% no. preventable disease and it's it's worse than ever. So it's it's not getting better. 100%. And I think it's about what you said, looking at that full body and that full patient when it comes to caries and not just their toothpaste, but... Mm. But there are alternatives to fluoride that can be just as good, which we'll get to. But um, yeah. also, like, what is their diet like? Yes. What's the erosion like? What's happening to their saliva flow? How are you? All of these things. A lot of, yeah, a lot of these patients who have um, high caries have low saliva, and then we put them on a really high fluoride toothpaste that is high in sodium lauryl sulfate. And mm -hmm. we just exacerbate their dry mouth. Mm -hmm. And so we're not really getting the intended, you know, desire, I think, when you do that either, because we know that the saliva is so much more important and balancing that pH and those enzymes. And if we can get that right, we can actually do way more good with that rather than dosing them with a high chemical toothpaste. Absolutely. 100%. So it's been a really... um privileged journey to be able to have those conversations with patients and educate them in that sense as well and just really support what they are doing at home and what's quite curious is the people who maybe have made a personal choice about fluoride are actually really health motivated they are they yeah. love they love the research they love the education they've got really intelligent questions and they want to do the best that they can for the health and look People who don't want fluoride come in all their wide spectrum of people. It's not just quote unquote hippies. It's really um, a lot of people with different reasons and some very valid too. So like you said, personal choice. Yeah. Look, my, my, um, my one of my children uses a uh, special toothpaste because he is a terrible sweet tooth and terrible brusher and keeps driving me insane. And we... <laughs> use a fluoride toothpaste on him and I'm trying to combat everything I can. But for me, I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> and we, we actually have four people in this house and we all use a different toothpaste. Oh, I love that. That is a dental household. <laughs> yeah, I don't use one at all. They Occasionally I'll use an SLS, you know, organic toothpaste. The kids will use different, they use different ones because I do think it's not a one-size-fits-all toothpaste. It's about individualized prescriptive care and Absolutely. at the end of the day it's prescription medication that you're prescribing you know and we should think about it like that like does this person need it yes or no does could they benefit from this one or this one and not be going oh, i'm just going to limit myself to this one idea for the whole population that's it and i think we're getting more aware of the oral microbiome now as well and yes. about how important the balance is there and not disrupting that Absolutely. You know, we don't want things that are 99.9% disinfecting and antibacterial. We want to be able to support the microbiome and keep that balance yeah. that's so important for health. Yeah, I, I find that with patients a lot. They're very keen to mouth rinse. Oh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of mouth rinses. I really don't think people need them, is my personal opinion, especially mm -hmm. if you're a good brusher and interdental cleaner, like don't use one at all. And I often patients are very shocked with me and I'm like ditch that mouth rinse it's a waste of money <laughs> um, but also I think we have to think about how much a mouth rinse upsets the oral microbiome so again think about a mouth rinse as a prescription medication do I really need this what am I using it for and how long am I going to use this for 
Yes, the time, absolutely. How long we're using it for is so important as well. I think we affectionately call it the the blue, <laughs> the blue artificially coloured and flavoured alcohol water. But yeah. there's not there's not a whole lot of benefits unless it was something that was specifically prescribed for a certain period and for a certain reason. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Like especially I think that um Whilst there's a lot of studies, you know, on chlorhexidine, like we think about that as as a standard for certain infections, it really is only for acute infections, you know, that you're trying to get a grasp of. But it's not going to work on a chronic infection at all, except upsetting the oral microbiome. And it's, you know, I I work in specialist perio practice, and I have for many years now, and I, I can count on my hand each in one year how many times I would recommend chlorhexidine. You know, yeah. it's very rare that we do. Uh, and it's usually when we're like, nothing's working. Let's just have a go. <laughs> but for me now, I would recommend an oral probiotic before I'd recommend chlorhexidine. Right. So yeah. for me, I'm like, all right, let's go on an oral probiotic. Let's try this. It's really only like if someone came in and it was so acute they couldn't brush, they were in so much pain they couldn't do something, that I would be like, okay, I just need to get hold of this. But I would be talking about this in a very short period. This is an acute infection. I'm going to use it very quick, very sharp, and then we've got to use a probiotic afterwards to try and rebalance. We've got to do all these things. I think a lot of the times it gets used as, oh, you've got inflammation, take chlorhexidine. You've got this, take chlorhexidine. You've got where we overuse it and I think we're causing more problems long-term. Yeah, I'd say you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. So with your toothpaste, you realised you needed to make something that was actually valuable in the market when we're going to go fluoride-free and can help. Yes. Um, So you've got the idea. I'm always interested how people take the idea and make it happen. Yes. You've got the idea. You're at home. You go, light bulb moment. But then what? Did you Google how do you do this? Like... (laughs) What was the next step? (laughs) So once I went home and sat with the idea and thought, no, I want to see if this is possible, if I can do this, I then sort of thought about why. Why do I want to make a toothpaste really? Is it because nothing exists or um, why? And the reason was I just wanted to make something that was meeting the specific needs of my clientele and that really wanted to be something that was backed on the research that clinicians could feel really comfortable recommending because it's based on active science. I also wanted it to be safe to swallow. Toothpaste is going in your mouth. You're absorbing it. Um, When the toothpaste says that you need to be spitting it out and do not swallow, I I think it's already too late. I think you've already absorbed most of what's in there. So so I wanted to be safe to swallow food-grade ingredients and also... I wanted to be really transparent about what was in it too and, of course, be kind to the environment. I think in dental industry specifically we we add a lot of load on Mother Nature. We really do. And some of that may be unavoidable at the moment, um, but I wanted to do my bit. I wasn't going to make another toothpaste that was wrapped in plastic. So that was really important yeah. too. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what I ended up doing was coming up with a formula and I knew specifically exactly what I wanted in it and definitely what I didn't want in it. So I called a few labs and had lots of meetings and then found a team that were really well versed in making toothpaste and were happy to indulge me and let me really take the helm with deciding how we made it and what went in it. 
and they were fantastic to work with. And it was also important that everything was made in Australia too, um, limiting that carbon footprint as well. That's fantastic. I love that as well. So I, I was talking to a, a sustainable company the other day, actually, they came to me and they said, oh, we, they had in, um, invented a tongue scraper that um, is copper and had not great packaging. And I said, now my question is, where did you make it? And they looked at me and I said, so I'm all happy for this, that you've made this environmentally friendly, but if you made this in a sweatshop overseas, mm-hmm. you've outdone, you, you've negated everything that you've told me. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, Uh, uh, and I said you answered my question move along (laughs) oh dear (laughs) but yeah you know I think sometimes you know we go oh great this is organic this has got eco but then if it was made in a terrible factory that isn't contributing it's not really that great you can recycle the packaging but who cares like if you've you've destroyed the earth to get that packaging (laughs) when you talk about um ingredients you wanted and ingredients you didn't can Mm -hmm. we go back a little bit ingredients you didn't and so kind of list some of the things you knew you didn't want in there yes well fluoride obviously only because of the clientele and i wanted to have a really effective alternative to fluoride there's so much fluoride and so many fluoride toothpaste so i didn't need to do that you don't need to recreate the wheel i wanted to fill a gap in something that didn't really exist so that was number one like you said had to get rid of the sulfates get rid of sodium laurel sulfate what an irritant no need to be in toothpaste at all most people don't even like the foam. <laughs> well, I think if you explain, like I recommend to every patient to get rid of sodium lauryl sulfate in everything. Like we're a sodium lauryl sulfate-free house in our detergents, in our shampoos, conditioners, toothpaste, everything. Um, but I think if you just explain to them, it's not going to foam, don't keep adding, don't keep adding, don't keep adding. And I just it'll be weird for a week and then you'll never be able to have SLS again because you'll be exactly. like, gross. Yeah. <laughs> wanted to take out titanium dioxide as well in toothpaste its only benefit is that it makes the color of the paste white that is its only function in toothpaste yet we know that in high doses or if you're swallowing it it is actually a known carcinogen and an irritant as well so if it it doesn't need to be in there why put it there um (laughs) what do you think our obsession is with having white toothpaste do you think it's just because we think white teeth, white toothpaste. I think that's exactly it. But then you have the blue sparkly toothpastes as well too. I think there's a happy medium. And the toothpaste I created is actually off-white without all those extra ingredients. The colour is yeah. so slightly off-white that you wouldn't even notice. <laughs> I had to battle to get that ingredient out as well. They said, but it won't be white. I said, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I think it's about setting standards. Like, again, you explained, this won't be white, but it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, citric acid was another one. You'd be surprised how many toothpastes have citric acid in them. A lot. A lot. When I read the things, I'm quite shocked, yeah. You know, that's one of the things we speak the most about is avoiding acids inside the mouth. And citric acid is actually in there because of, the cocktail of preservatives increase the acid. And so it's actually there to try to, I guess, get some kind of equilibrium of the um, yeah. pH within the toothpaste. But adding another acid to something where we're trying to make the mouth more alkaline just made no sense to me. So got rid of that too. And also wanted to get rid of preservative on preservative on preservative, just find something that was food grade, really minimal, that was still going to do the job, preventing all of these lovely natural ingredients from going moldy. Yeah. So. 
And then what you wanted to put in, what was what was in that list of things you wanted in there? Hydroxyapatite was number one on the list. If it was going to compare to a fluoride toothpaste in terms of its remineralizing power, it had to have something that the research and the science was going to back. And that's hydroxyapatite. Um, I guess for those who aren't familiar with hydroxyapatite, it's essentially what teeth and bones are made out of. It makes up about 97% of enamel and about 70% of bone too. And what's really cool about it is it's bioavailable. So it attaches and absorbs to living tooth tissue and can strengthen, helps with the micro hardness and completely safe to swallow as well because it's just mimicking what the body itself has. So that was number one. Um, and I also was really specific about being totally transparent about the concentration. Hydroxyapatite, according to the research, needs to be at a concentration of 10% to be yeah. effective in mineralizing. And when I started looking at other toothpastes that had hydroxyapatite and I was doing the ring around, I was emailing, most of them actually said, we won't tell you because it's commercially sensitive, um, which is pointless. <laughs> interesting like I've contacted a couple of um, toothpaste companies about different things like I've asked what their RDA is because they haven't advertised it or mm. um, again what the hydro what the level I and mean, when they say it's intellectual property um what it says to me is it's not an appropriate level yes. and we don't want to disclose that's all that says to me that's it <laughs> so that that was really interesting so we have 10% hydroxyapatite within the formula um, hydroxyapatite is quite an expensive ingredient and so when I'm telling patients about how to look at the hydroxyapatite if they don't know the specific percentage is to look where it is on the ingredient list. If it's near the top in the top four or five ingredients there's probably enough of it to clinically make a difference to your teeth. If it's further down the bottom or the toothpaste is under $10 there's probably not a lot in there either because it does cost a lot. Premium ingredients do come with a, a premium price tag as well. But the, the research, you know, going back to that, when we look at that, if, you, if you've got that at that 10%, mm -hmm. they're showing that it's as effective as using fluoride. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that as health professionals, we have to keep remembering, and this is something that Melissa and I really like to hammer home, evidence changes, evidence grows. So just because we did something in 1960, when fluoride was out, you know, was, you know, this amazing, it's it doing all these changes, doesn't mean we have to stay like that for the rest of our, of dentistry. This is why we don't use a pedal drill anymore because we, we evolved. <laughs> and, you know, thank God we didn't stick with the pedal drill and we evolved and we've got better dentistry. And I'm Not wearing gloves. <laughs> yeah, we wear gloves, we wear masks. We have preventative dentistry, which they didn't have. You know, our older patients with all those fillings, it's because that was the only option they had back then was fillings. Yes. They didn't have preventative dentistry as an option. And so just like that, our oral health care products and the research and the science is going to keep growing as well. So it's so important that even something that you might write off five years ago, you come back and you revisit because the mm -hmm. science can change. That's why sometimes when people ask my opinion on something, I sometimes will say, at the moment, no, but don't hold me to it. Yeah. Because it might change my mind. What <laughs> a great answer. Great answer. <laughs> yeah, because science does change so much, you know, and, and 15 years ago if we talked about this, we'd be having a completely different conversation. Yes. But that research is really there to support this. 
and in a healthy way that we can use it. So I think as health professionals, instead of just going, no, 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 everything is fluoride, I'm going to put my blinders on and that's all I'm going to do, we have to be more open to more research, more science and, and what's going on. That's it. That's it. And uh, the science behind hydroxyapatite, like you were saying, is not overly new either. It it was being used for such a long time. And I think NASA actually um, discovered the nanoparticle of hydroxyapatite and they were using it for their astronauts that were going up into space and finding that the density of their bones were just depleting because of all the yeah. bad high gravity. And so it's been used in a bone sense for a really long time. And in countries like Japan, it's actually their gold standard for a remineralizing agent in their toothpaste and been that way mm. for 40 years. You know, we're getting better with it. Australia and the US, we're absolutely seeing more of it. People are asking about it. Some people are even educating their clinicians about it as well. So it's wonderful yeah. the conversations are happening now around this. Yeah, and I'm hoping that any of our listeners today, wherever you are listening, that, you know, if you are thinking, I'm not sure about this, that you get onto the internet and you look up some papers and have a read and, and you know, and educate yourself on that there are other alternatives and so that you can have good conversations with those patients that want an alternative as well so that you can educate them and or you can, you know, so they can make good choices with their decisions and be more open to people having their own decisions. That's it. We just, we just have to know more. That's it. The more we know, the more we can help. That's all it is really. So you got your ingredient list of what you want, your ingredient list of what you don't want. And so that's pretty good. When then coming together, how hard was it to get what you wanted into a consistency that you liked? Um, it, it took a long time. We had about four rounds of samples. And the first sample that came back, I looked at the ingredient list and had added all of these extra things. And I think we didn't talk about any of these ingredients. and. They said, oh, but these are just the things that toothpaste usually has. I said, well, let's remove that, we'll remove that, we'll remove that. And they they were really happy to work with me like that. I think at first they really liked how direct I was and how much I knew what I wanted. By the end of it, I think maybe they were sick of my emails and the phone calls. <laughs> I think you just think that about me all the time, don't worry. <laughs> But um, we, we got the consistency right. Flavour was tough because we weren't using any yeah. artificial flavourings, colours, aromas. It's actually quite difficult to make a toothpaste that tastes pleasant, feels fresh, but doesn't have anything artificial in it as well. So that was, that was probably be my next question. Because mm. I know I've tried some of like the toothpaste tablets. Yes. And I hated the texture. <laughs> because anything that I'm going to like... I always think when patients ask me questions, if I haven't tried it, I'll go try it so that I can give mm -hmm. my honest feedback. So a patient was like, I only want to use toothpaste tablets because of environmental reasons. So I was like, excellent, I'll go try some. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like it's disgusting. <laughs> I, it was so chalky in my mouth and mm -hmm. I hated it. And, and but, you know, but like when you looked at the ingredient list, it was a great ingredient, but I was like, oh, this is this is not for me. Um, so I imagine when you're trying to take out a lot of those chemicals, they're there to create that smoothness or that nice yeah. consistency. So it takes a lot more balancing to get it. Absolutely. It really does. And I think what really helped with this formula was that I wanted to include fat-soluble vitamins as well, specifically K2 and D3. And the great thing about that is I believe that's actually added a little bit of a, a silky texture to the toothpaste as well. 
And the feedback's been really good about it. Everyone says that it feels really comfortable. They appreciate that. There's a little bit of foam, but not too much. And someone actually sent me an email yesterday and said it felt like their whole mouth was moisturised, which I loved. <laughs> I love that. And so um, taste, what taste did you go with? We went with mint and bergamot. So it does have that minty, fresh taste, but that, that comes from essential oil and also has bergamot, which is a cross between a lime and a lemon. So a little bit of a citrus oh. Just to make it a little more mild. I'm too uneducated. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> Think of a lemon crossed with a lime. <laughs> I love that kind of flavour, so I'm into that. And then it's a mahito. Um, really um, how many times did you have to go back and forth with like taste testing? Oh, we did five samples all up. And yeah. uh, the, the taste, we, we got there in the end. It's obviously going to taste different to a commercially available toothpaste yeah. because of the, the natural component of it, but it still tastes pretty nice. And that flavour combo was actually inspired by um, Victoria, actually, sort of, you know, the Murray River and the citrus growers and all the wild river mint as well and all the other flavours yet to come are also inspired by different waterways too. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. And so then let's talk about, so you, you got the consistency right, you got the taste right, mm -hmm. then you have to tackle packaging. Yes. So um, how did you get around, like how did that whole process work? Yes, so I knew that it was going to be in a tube, but it had to be a biodegradable tube. And so I looked at a few different materials, um, sugarcane, bioresins, and ended up finding an Australian company that make these incredible biodegradable tubes that are fully recyclable, which is also quite rare when it comes to toothpaste, yeah. curbside recyclable as well. So you can just pop it in your bin at home without having to take it somewhere special. And it's um, if you do forget to recycle and it ends up in landfill, it completely biodegrades, leaving nothing but soil and air after six years. Whereas we know that every toothpaste tube ever made still exists. You know, that's just the load. I love this. That is <laughs> so, so awesome. Because I think, like you said, in dental, there's so many things that we can't change. Like I can't stop wearing gloves. Yes. And so I just keep, unfortunately, you know, keeping that footprint. I have to keep wearing a mask, mm. you know. So like I can make better choices where I buy my gloves and my masks and stuff like that, but I can't stop wearing them. But I think when you can actually swap something, mm. like that's really good. You can actually say this will be biodegradable instead of this. Like that's fantastic, especially where there's areas where we just unfortunately can't. So I think yeah. where we can, we need to be more conscious of making those decisions. Exactly. And so that was really important value to the business that I was building was that it was going to be environmentally kind if I was going to do it at all, which does add to the cost of production. My goodness. Um, I think if I had yeah. known... If I'd known in the beginning, maybe I wouldn't have seen it out to the end. But, <laughs> but really, <laughs> yes, but you're just doing things that speak to your values. And, you know, if it's important to you, it's important to other people as well. So, you know, yes, it yeah. could have been a cheaper product, but it wouldn't have nearly as much hydroxyapatite. 
it would be wrapped in plastic. Um, it wouldn't have vitamins and minerals in it. So it's interesting. Yeah. And then so you, you sort out your packaging, which is obviously, you know, a bit of a slog in itself. Mm. The company that makes the samples, are they the same company that then produces it or do you go somewhere else then? No. So the same company who makes it, they produce it yeah. well. So yes. it's amazing that that is all produced right here in New South Wales, actually. Um, that's where the toothpaste oh, is and packaging in Queensland. Um, they are in Botany. I don't actually know where oh, Botany cool. is. But. <laughs> and so um, from having the idea to approving the final sample of saying that's what we're going to go with, how yes. long did that actually take? It was a... Ooh, probably about 18 months from starting to the finishing. 18 months and now we're two years. years. <laughs> yeah. And then so what kind of commitment do you have to make as like your first order? I only started with a limited release. So I have 1,000 tubes at the moment. Yeah. Um, we have been soft launching in the clinic that I work in and the feedback has been amazing. My clients are absolutely loving it. Um, yeah. Even kids are loving it, even kids that they thought wouldn't like mint. They're really yeah. enjoying it. And um, so that's been really, really great. And then we launch online next week at the time of recording. So in seven days, um, then it will be available to purchase online too. And then once I'm done with the 1,000, then I'll make a decision whether I get to keep producing more. But yeah. I, I plan to. I've got um, yeah. that link with us because we'll yeah. put it in the show notes for everyone so that they can click on it and they can have a look and they can purchase as well. Yeah. Um, that's super, super exciting. So how did you go about figuring out a logo and the colour schemes that you wanted to go with? Did you enjoy that process or did you palm that off to someone else? How did you oh. do all of that? A little bit of both. Um, I was working with a branding agency, again, locally here on the Sunshine Coast, and they were absolutely incredible. And it was a really collaborative process. Obviously, they knew about branding. They knew about marketing. But I knew that I wanted the first tube to be yellow. It just felt fun and vibrant, something different. This is not your average toothpaste. I've been calling it an oral cleanser, actually, because I want to evoke yeah. that sensation about cleaning the entire mouth we're cleaning gums we're cleaning tongues it's not just about the teeth it's everything that's inside that area and also cleanser we're familiar with the idea of looking after our yeah. skin really conscious about the ingredients that we put in our skin and no one wants to disinfect their skin we want to nourish it we want to moisturize it we want to protect it so i wanted to use that language when it came to the toothpaste as well so they were the things I um, was non-negotiable for me and then having it the colour yellow just so it could stand out, very coastal, it's fun and vibrant, which is really what the company and the business is about too. Yeah, it's really exciting. I really admire people that can have an idea because I think lots of people have ideas but then actually actioning them is mm. like a huge um, step, you know, and also you taking a lot of risk when you do it. So, like, I think, like, it's amazing when you see people doing that. And um, that's why I just love trying to support and promote those things because I love that people have the courage to go do it. But also when you're trying to do something like this, when you're trying to improve things for people and the environment at once, like I think it's really exciting. That's it, disrupting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I really like that. Do you, um, so you have soft launch at your practice and your plans to kind of start targeting other practices with similar ethos and values as well, like for them to be selling in-house and Yes, if, if that aligns with them, I haven't really pushed that mode of selling just yet because yeah. I, I just really wanted to know exactly who was using it. I love the idea of selling it within the practice because I could talk to the people who were using it, get feedback from it, and yeah. then if there's a chance that I can tweak anything or even continue to improve, I know that straight from the people who are using it. Whereas once it goes off to other clinics, I thought I might lose a little bit of control with that very first batch. Um, but in saying that, I've had so many messages from other clinics who are aligned in a similar way asking whether they can have some in their clinics as well. So I have got a few being sent out. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Now, I have a question for you, and I don't know if you know the answer, but I was thinking of it as you were talking. So when we're talking about hydroxypate as, mm -hmm. as a fluoride and working just as well, has anyone made it in a varnish form that you can use as like a desensitizer post-treatments? Um, no, but I have one coming out in the next few months, actually. We have a serum. <laughs> Spoiler, yes, absolutely. Um, that, that was the other thing I wanted to, when I started making this, this toothpaste and this formula, I realised there is a real need to be able to have something that can be applied, especially after the GBT and the airflow, something that, really good quality for the teeth that's a nice alternative for people who maybe don't want to use um the fluoride varnishes as well so yeah. i have got a 10 percent serum concentrate hopefully within the next awesome. few months. yeah so that's and really so exciting. that's exciting and how how different was going into the drawing board to do that compared to the toothpaste oh my goodness chalk and cheese um yeah. i thought i i thought i'll start this process with the serum early because i know it might take 18 months and it took three it's it's already done it's just waiting oh, for wow. me to have enough money to be able to purchase it <laughs> <laughs> and so was it a lot easier to get the consistency compared to the toothpaste it was quite challenging actually because again there were some specific ingredients and i won't tease too much about what they are but um, things that aren't usually in a dental serum either. So they had never made anything like that. And so the making it was really easy, but it took a long time for them to wrap their heads around what it was I was trying to make because it was a completely new concept to them. And so they were really worried about the ingredients and how they would go together and what would dissolve in what. And they wanted to put all these preservatives over the top of it and... You know, I just sort of stuck to my guns and I said, look, we can we can make this work because I've made it myself in my bathtub with a few ingredients. It'll work, but I just need you to help me out with the science behind it. And so we got there in the end, but that was the hardest part, convincing them <laughs> that this would work. <laughs> uh, no, but I think that's fantastic. That, you know, that's so exciting. So potentially a second product launching yes. as well. Yes, do you see yourself becoming much more of a dental entrepreneur rather than clinician or splitting your time kind of evenly? Like what do you, what do you see yes. your future as? Oh, good question. I, I love being face-to-face -face in the clinic. I really do. And as 
I've done more training and education specifically in my functional therapy and I became a breathing behavior analyst and I also really like thumb sucking cessation. That is just the highlight of my week when I get to coach kids through a thumb sucking program. So I would love to keep doing those sorts of things. But, you know, the, the more I get on now, I'm 13 years out. I'm realizing that maybe I don't get the same joy from hands in mouth, um, you know, picking out soft dentin anymore. I think I like the education and the chatting. <laughs> well, same. I think that's the favorite part of my like I say to people all the time, I have an hour appointment. I'm probably 30 minutes in before I start treatment. I'm like, history, chatting, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I'm like, I can't shorten my appointment times. Exactly. I just, I, if I had a 40-minute appointment time, I would have been like, oh, we have to finish now. <laughs> we haven't done it. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it may be a bit of a split, um, but I'm really yeah. enjoying working on the business side of things and even just what I'm learning. Absolutely amazing and so rewarding. But it wouldn't be a good day if I didn't get to work with patients one-on-one either. So maybe a mix of both. Looking back at your journey so far, mm. uh, what do you think would be the one tip you would give someone that's starting out on their kind of entrepreneur journey? Get a mentor. Talk to someone who has done it before because even my journey from one product to now the second, I think I could have done it 50% cheaper <laughs> And there's a lot of things you can do yourself. Be willing to learn and upskill. And, you know, we're, there's so much that you can achieve that you don't have to pay for as well. So yeah. I'd pay for a mentor and then see exactly what you can teach yourself to do. And it'll be better off for it the more that you can do yourself. So that's my number yeah. one. I think mentor is something that we, is a bit of a theme through all of our um, <laughs> episodes. Where I was like, get a mentor, get a mentor, get a mentor. You'll never go wrong. Never. Um, so, yeah, I think where you can do that, I think it's really important. What's something that if you could do again, you would do differently? Oh, um, let's see. I think I wanted to make everything perfect. So, you know, even, and I loved how I did it and I loved the things that I learned, but, you know, I went to a, a branding agency to be able to do the packaging, whereas, you know, some yeah. people just do that you know via maybe it's something on the internet much cheaper um and less time i trademarked as well and um so just i think trademark was smart <laughs> long time that was smart so yes a lot of good decisions but maybe you don't have to do all of it straight away and they do say just go with it even if it's not perfect you've just got to start but i think with a clinical product as well i just had such high standards about what i wanted it to be so i just wanted to make everything so wonderful um have the science behind it and just for people to feel really comfortable in making the choice something that was lesser known made by just a single person i, I wanted people to really feel like they could understand why they were using what they were using why they're paying what they're paying for it and why they've chosen that. So uh, that's what it took. Yeah. I, I definitely realised that I'm quite privileged that I get to make these decisions. But for me, when I can shop from a small business, when I can shop from a smaller company, when I can, because I know that that's going directly to that person, that family, that, you know, mm -hmm. I, I've got to 
respect for that family-run business or that single-person business, I always am more happy to be able to do that. I understand not everyone has that privilege to be able to make those decisions. Yes. But I'm so. But I think a lot of people feel that way. When we can, you know, mm. a big corporation isn't the place I want to give my money to all the time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they have enough. <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. And you know, I want to be more. Sorry, that's my Ari. That's my child walking around with his FaceTime, <laughs> chatting to people. Um, no, it, I think, you know, when we can make decisions that improve the environment, uh, are good for our patients, yeah. and, you know, are helping our other fellow dental professionals, I'm like, it's a win, 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 win for me. Like, absolutely, absolutely. And if anything, I just would love people to be aware of natural toothpaste in general and just the way that it works and the transparency that we really should be demanding from toothpaste as well. Obviously, the guidelines with fluoride toothpaste are much more specific. You know, we have dosages, we have amounts, we have ages, whereas it's kind of a free-for-all in the natural toothpaste industry. You can do virtually whatever you want and it's classed as a cosmetic too. Same standard as shampoo and moisturiser and don't you think we should hold what we put in our mouths to a higher standard than that so <laughs> I think we put on our skins we should hire to hold to yeah. a higher standard just some of the chemicals they're allowed to put in it is exactly. interesting not having to have that same sort of approval or like I said to you I contacted a toothpaste company and said I'm interested to know your RDA because yes. my assumption was it's quite high mm. and and this is how they were getting. And when they said it's intellectual property, I was like, hmm, interesting. Because really, you should have nothing to hide That's when it, it comes to RDA. But also, I just think that that should be maybe become a standard that we put on toothpaste and let people know that. Yes, it should be. Absolutely. And also, how much active ingredient is in there too? And whether the hydroxyapatite is nano or micro, because there is a difference. Yeah. In- the size of the particles and where they're sourced from. Can you explain that a little bit to the listeners? Yes. So hydroxyapatite, like I was saying, it's the same mineral that comes from bones and teeth, but there's two different forms. There's micro, which is sourced from natural sources like bones, fish and cow, uh, coral and eggshell. And then there's nano. Nano is synthetically made to mimic Uh, the particles within your own body, um, just like you would make a vitamin. So it is synthetic. And the difference between them is mostly the particle size. Nano is smaller. They're tiny particles that can actually enter the tooth. They're smaller than the enamel tubules and they're smaller than the dentine as well. And so they can fit in there, which means they help with remineralizing, help with strengthening, help with desensitizing. Um, and also help with brightening the teeth as well because those micro scratches are filled in within the tooth surface. Whereas the research isn't really quite there yet with the micro particles yet. Obviously, it sounds wonderful because it's a natural source, but there isn't really a lot of research in how effective that is in trying to get those dental goals. So I wanted to go with where the research was for now. Maybe that'll change. And as we do more and more of hydroxyapatite-based toothpaste, we'll be able to start using more natural sources of it. But for now, the science is behind the nano if you're after those dental-specific benefits. Yeah. No, that's excellent. I think, you know, it's really good that we all get 
you know, more educated in the way that we understand it so that we can give correct information to our patients and have open and honest conversations, making sure that we're taking into account their wants. You know, oral hygiene instructions aren't just about what we think someone needs. It's about their wants and their ethics and morals and thoughts behind things. And we have to make sure we're considering them as a person. It's not just teeth that turn up the person attack. This mouth and a personality and a set of ideas and thoughts that are their own, and we have to be really respectful yeah. of that. And I think that that's something that you know, gone are the days where we're just the clinician of power, and they'll come in and we tell them we have to. Yeah. This is a collaboration. An appointment should be a collaboration, and we have to make sure that we're collaborating with the patient as well, and that we're a team together and not just us spouting information. Absolutely, because I think people are becoming much more aware, especially in the the recent years as well. I think people are really looking at their health differently and and knowing that it's not just a a given that you'll experience good health, you've got to work for it. So people are asking more questions. We're getting much more of that collaboration with our patients rather than just to them. So it's it's a nice place to be in, actually. I think it's going to change the way that we practice long term. It's exciting. Yeah. I think as annoying as COVID was, <laughs> um, <laughs> positives that came from it. Yeah. Um, you know, I see a lot of people that COVID gave them time to put their head down, bum up and, and start businesses and ideas mm. and go, I'm actually going to do this. But also I think as a general rule, my patients have become more health conscious. They have. Due to COVID and they've thought about health a lot more and they've thought about what, how they want their health to be because you know we saw how much comorbidities played a role in the outcome of people's of having COVID in the beginning and and how people reacted to getting sick and I think overall people are like I need to be a healthy person yes exactly and so I think you know that's one of the positives you know I I don't want to take away from the horrific experience some people have of being locked down or maybe losing a loved one but I, I can see some positives at the end of this tunnel that we came out of if we were to find a silver lining, that is it. Yeah. And so I'm just so excited for you. I just think it's it's such it's so excellent. And like I said, to our listeners who are listening today, I'll put that link in our show notes so that you can get it. And I'll make some social media posts as well when it comes out so we can share it with everyone. Um, congratulations on having an idea and actually actioning it. I think that you should be super, super proud of that because lots of people have ideas but don't have the courage to do it so well done and I really wish you the biggest success oh thank you so much Tabitha it's been a whirlwind of learning and emotions and tantrums but it's (laughs) so worth it and thank you for inviting me on so I could share that with everyone too because our community is amazing so it's nice to be able to talk about it No, I'm very, very excited for you. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Check out the Instagram page. Do you have any social medias for the toothpaste that I can direct people to? I do. You can find us at about28.oralcare. So the brand is called About28. Excellent. So check it out. We're so, so proud of you and so excited for you. And uh, keep disrupting, everyone. Thank you. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.